Welcome to season four. Our theme is themes. We're going to spend seven episodes digging into how to understand your client's work better. You know, being highly present in the moment is essential in play therapy. But when you shift to that analytical side of your brain and try to capture what happened for your progress notes, what do you write? How do you talk to your parents about the client's work while maintaining a safe space for their child's work? And probably the biggest question for new practitioners is, how do you look like a mental health professional when you spend a therapy session playing with kids? Oh sure, we know that play therapy works, but parents, supervisors, and other stakeholders may need more than that. And honestly, I need something more tangible than that. If you want to understand your clients better, sound intelligent when explaining play and therapy, and guide older clients to deeper wound healing, then you are going to love season four. This season, we are talking about themes in play therapy. Play themes give us a concrete way to conceptualize what the client is showing us, how they are progressing in treatment, and what needs they are trying to meet. It also gives you a framework for catching all the information that your client is tossing at you. So let's learn more about play themes together. This is episode 23. I hope you are enjoying learning about these play themes as much as I am enjoying sharing them with you. For our fourth season, I have grouped play themes into four categories that I call core needs. They are safety and security, empowerment and control, inner value, and relationship needs. Everyone has all four, but if you ever experience that need being threatened, then it activates the need and you do what you can to meet that need. Sometimes the way we meet those needs are unhealthy or become problematic later, but unhealthy coping is always preferable to not having the need met at all. And that's often what we see with our clients. This gives us a positive and logical way to understand clients better, which makes it easier to empathize with them. Once we understand our clients' deep needs, then it's easier to see how unhealthy relationships and maladaptive behaviors really serve a purpose, whether it's a two-year-old tantrum or a 52-year-old tirade. Play therapy is, after all, effective across the lifespan. This knowledge also guides you in how to facilitate the work. In the last three episodes, I covered the safety and security and empowerment and control core needs and some play themes that you might see in those categories. Today, I want to look at inner value. Inner value is our need to have worth, be loved, and matter. It's the essence of who we are. And if others, or ourselves, don't value who we are, then this need will be activated. Some examples might be being called degrading names, experiencing prejudice or hatred, or trying to measure up to another who is older, more accomplished, or saintly deceased. Just a quick caveat here. You want to understand the need from the perspective of the client, not try to classify behaviors and diagnoses as pointing to these needs. While 
There are some general things that usually point to certain core needs. That's not always true. Listen for word choice and watch what your clients are showing you through their play. You may have a client who has experienced abuse from a caretaker who hissed, you are never going to amount to anything. If that child internalized that message, then it is an inner value need. But you may also see some safety and security if the child felt unsafe. Emotional safety would certainly be threatened in that example. When you hear more than one core need, follow the client's lead to discern which one, or if both, are being expressed in the current play. So let's talk about some themes. Hopelessness is a play theme you might see when a client is struggling with inner value. Things like, why try to do well in school when you'll never be good enough? No matter what you do, people won't love you. Why continue to struggle and feel such pain when you don't matter anyway? This is a bleak apathy that happens when you don't believe things will change. Regardless of what you say, do, or think, it seems impossible that that person will really love and cherish you, that you can bask in finally being good enough, or that who you are will truly be acceptable. This theme can be a short step away from dangerous, possibly suicidal, so when I hear this theme, I like to reflect it right back. You knew I'd say that, right? And then follow that reflection with, but what if you were? For example, if a child says, she's a bad girl, she did something really bad, then I might reflect, she's a bad girl, something really bad happened to her, but what if she could be good too? This isn't a question I'm listening to hear answered, but more of a verbal pondering. What if? With an adolescent, it might go something like this. No one will ever want to be with me now. I practically slept with a whole team, so they just see me as trash now. And I might say, after what happened, they see you as worthless trash. But what if you aren't? Helplessness is the next play theme. It may be combined with hopelessness, but this one is a freezing of any sort of agency over the situation because giving up voluntarily on becoming valuable or loved is better than trying and having it clearly confirmed. Let me repeat that. That's really important. That giving up voluntarily on becoming valuable or loved is better than trying and having it clearly confirmed confirmed. So a child may feel like he can't scream his rage at the parent who moved out because it would risk a fragile relationship. Not being loved would be much worse than just pretending like things are okay. It doesn't solve the rage, but it protects inner value. So maybe instead the rage comes out with those who can see it and still love the child, even when they aren't actually the target. Children living through court cases often feel helpless because others are making decisions about them. But sometimes it seems like the decision makers don't care about the child. They may not even ask what the child wants. And so the message that is internalized is, they don't care about me. The last inner value theme I want to talk about is self-sufficiency. Now, you may see a healthy version of this in mastery play, 
that looks something like, I can do that myself now. We'll talk more about that in a couple of episodes. But here, I want to talk about an unhealthy reliance on taking care of self and maybe other loved ones because no one else can be trusted to do it. This version is a thorny facade that shuts others out to prevent more hurt and disappointment. If you won't love me, I don't need you anyway. If you don't think I'm good enough, then F you. This is usually followed by hurtful words intended to tear the other person down. The idea behind this is that if I shut you out, I can protect myself. If I don't expect you to honor and value me, then it doesn't hurt as much when you don't. If I make it hard to love me, then at least I choose it when you can't love me. If these themes feel especially heavy, it's because they are. This is the essence of who you are. And any message that who you are isn't good enough or valuable, well, that really, really hurts. I think it's part of the reason why many therapists truly grieve over social injustices. These carry a lying message that one group of people is less valuable than another. But what if that isn't true at all? Back by popular demand, Rachel Sellers offers summaries of the literature that shape our profession. This season, she has selected seven essential books for every play therapist library. Rachel works in private practice and is experienced with children and adolescents using play therapy. Let's hear which book she has selected this week. Dr. Eliana Gill may be a name that you've heard before, as she is a true powerhouse in the field of play therapy. She is a former APT president, creator of trauma-focused integrative play therapy, and founder of the Gill Institute for Trauma Recovery and Education. She is a therapist, teacher, speaker, and clinical supervisor. One of the first books I have ever read on the topic of trauma and play therapy is actually one that she wrote. It's called The Healing Power of Play, Working with Abused Children. This book describes how therapists can facilitate play therapy and intervene during a client's post-traumatic play. She reviews several traditional play therapy modalities, like child-centered play therapy, as well as more directive theories. The book offers six detailed clinical vignettes that offer step-by-step guidelines for assessment and intervention based on different situations of abuse or neglect. For each vignette, she presents referral information, social and family history, clinical impressions, treatment plans, and snapshots of various therapy sessions, where she presents the dialogue between her, the therapist, and the client. Similarly to the way that Axline writes in Dibs in Search of Self, Gill gives us a front row seat into some of her sessions and how she intervenes and guides them. One of the subjects she speaks to in the book is this concept of post-traumatic play. This kind of play happens when a child or adolescent 
reenacts his trauma in the playroom. Because the child is in control of the reenactment and how it plays out, this kind of play can enable mastery and empowerment in a safe environment. She also speaks to how post-traumatic play can become fixed or repetitive. She suggests that allowing fixed or stuck play to continue to happen over and over again might actually be anxiety-provoking and might even reinforce feelings of powerlessness. She offers several ways of interrupting the child's play. Here are a few of her suggestions. Making verbal statements about the child's play to help suspend the self-absorption and rigidity of the play. Manipulating the dolls or toys. Moving them around and asking the child something like, what would happen if? Encouraging the child to differentiate between the traumatic event and current reality in terms of safety. There are practical strategies and useful tips just like these throughout this whole book. If you work with traumatized or abused children, I believe this book is a must-have for your bookshelf. We've been talking about inner value core needs and the play themes of hopelessness, helplessness, and self-sufficiency. The great news about these difficult play themes is that you already know the way to help your clients navigate through them. Unconditional positive regard. Your unconditional positive regard for your clients shows them that you believe that they have inherent worth and value simply because they are, not because of their ability to do better and achieve, not because they may one day catch up with that perfect sibling, not because they overcome this. They already have it. You do too. You have worth and value already, even if you never help another client or graduate or get married, or anything else you think of that might give it to you. And even if you don't believe it yet, I'm willing to believe it for you until you can. Now, I've promised to give you some practical tips too, and I want to lighten things up with some humor. Now, I really don't like social media much, but my graduate assistant has drugged me into the 21st century with an Instagram account that she convinced me we needed to accompany this podcast. One of the benefits of that is that I get to follow some of our alumni, like Scoville Counseling. Elizabeth Scoville has a talent for humor that has been known to make me laugh out loud. One of her posts says this, Session. Plays The Floor is Lava with Client. Documentation. Clinician coached client through utilizing problem-solving skills in stressful situation. (laughs) I love this on many levels. Sometimes as clinicians, we think all we do is play a silly game with a client. Yeah, we know that it is more than that. We know it has a purpose. I mean, that is why we do it after all but we tend to sell ourselves short. But this isn't just playing. This is therapeutic work with an emphasis on work. Another thing I love about this post is that it is a reminder that how we describe what we do is important. 
If you describe your work as just play, then that is what others will believe. But if you describe your play as helping the client learn problem-solving skills in vivo while experiencing a stressful situation, well, that is what others will believe. Don't discount your profession. Learning these themes gives you language to describe the therapeutic work that happens through play. Learn to identify them and write your progress notes to include them. Now, your work at a certain site may require specific progress notes, but if you can adapt them to add a checklist of possible themes, you can quickly learn to identify them and become better at noticing how the play related to those themes is changing. You don't need to interpret their work. Just notice it and trust your client. If you appreciate therapy humor, you may want to check out Scoville Counseling on Instagram for yourself. A big thank you for the kind words to those who've taken time to review our little podcast. I'm so glad that you find it helpful and inspiring. For those of you that haven't done so yet, please join these gracious reviewers by taking two minutes to give us five stars or whatever you think is honest, but those are our favorites. Also write a sentence or two to let us know what you liked best in this podcast. This helps others find us when they search. You can also share it on your social media too. I hope this episode helped you better understand and conceptualize what your clients tell you through the themes of their play. Let us know what you thought. Contact us at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at playtherapypodcast.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at playtherapy with Dr. Denise. Remember, I don't have an E at the end of Denise. Thanks to all you subscribers in our playful tribe. We wouldn't do this without you or the incredible talents of book reviewer Rachel Sellers, audio engineer Sheldon Clark, production assistant Kara Allison, and songwriter Sarah Beth Goh. This podcast is funded through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Now go play, create, and heal. broken.